Welcome to Matt Noel Ministries Sermon Podcast. Feel free to download these sermons and share them with your friends and family. Thanks for listening. God bless. This morning, my message title is called Broken Down Walls. And uh, so we're going to start in Joshua 6. This is a story of God's people, Israel, and uh, they're preparing to battle against the city of Jericho, which is in the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan is the promised land that God gave to Israel. It wasn't for anybody else. It was for Israel. And this is the first battle that they had to come in the land of Canaan against Jericho, and uh, they had to destroy the enemy of the Canaanites. Um, So in Joshua 6, verse 1, says this, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. So the people inside of the wall, the Canaanite people inside of the walls of Jericho, were afraid of the Israelites. Nobody was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once for six days. Excuse me, once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can, and then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So God says, when you shout, the walls around Jericho will come down, they'll be broken down, and then you'll have access to enter in and charge into the city. Now, if you have been a Christian for quite some time, you and I both know that being a Christian is not a walk in the park. It, it, it is a battlefield. It, it is war on the front lines is what being a follower of Jesus is. You'll, come, you'll, you'll, you'll hear people just only... They, they say, they talk about how the joy of the Lord and of coming to know Jesus, and that's true, and the freedom of forgiveness of sins. There's nothing like that. The redemption of, from your sins, amen? Be called back from darkness into light. That's a wonderful blessing, and we know that's true. But we have to also understand that when you become a Christian, you, you become a target of the enemy because he hates Jesus and he hates Jesus' people. Period. And so, therefore, we are entering a war. And it's always been this way. Always. For as long as man has been on earth, it's always been a war. I want you to hear some uh, scriptures from the Old Testament. You don't have to follow along. It's going to be kind of uh, rapid-fire scriptures. But just listen to uh, the the, the Old Testament scriptures. We'll start in Judges 11, verse 6. They said to Jephthah, Come and be our leader so that we may fight... The Ammonites. Nehemiah 4 verse 8. So they all conspired together to fight against Jerusalem in order to cause chaos. 2 Samuel 10.13. Joab advanced the people that were with him to fight against Aram and they retreated from before him. 1 Kings 20.26. The next year Ben-Hadad assembled the Arminians and went up to Aphek to fight 
against Israel. Psalm 35.1, plead my cause, O Lord, with my adversaries. Fight those who fight against me. Exodus 14.14, the Lord shall fight for you while you hold peace. And then in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you are called and have professed a good profession before many witnesses. 1 Corinthians 9.26 So therefore I run, not with uncertainty, so I fight, not as one who beats the air. 2 Timothy 4.7 I have fought a good fight, I have finished my race, and I have kept the faith. Do you see, all throughout the scripture, it's been nothing but a fight. It is, it's, it's always been God versus Satan. Darkness versus light. Good versus evil. There's been thousands and thousands of movies made on this very theme that we see all throughout Scripture. Darkness versus light. The good guy versus the bad guy. And the, in the end, usually most times, the good guy always wins. Just like in the Bible. In the end, the good guy, Jesus, wins. And his people, you and I, we win. Amen? That's a good thing. But for all time, it's always been this fight. This battle that we find ourselves in. Yes, the battle is won. You know that's true, right? Because we know the end of the story. The battle's won, but the fight is not over. The fight we are in right now. The battle's won. The fight is not over. The victory is ours, yes, but we haven't yet obtained the victory eternally yet. Yes, God is fighting for us and with us, but we, you and I, are still required to engage in warfare. Spiritual warfare through prayer and the Word of God and standing firm in faith as we just read with Paul says, I, 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 fought the, 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 I finished the race. I have fought this fight of faith. That's what we're called to do, to engage in this battle. <clears throat> Psalms 144 verse 1, the psalmist says this, Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Do you know that in your life as a Christian, God will bring you through some training ground. God will make you pick up the spiritual jump rope and giver for 10 minutes straight because he's training you for war. God will bring seasons and times in your life where you need to hit the punching bag to gain strength. To gain endurance, you got to hit the speed bag. It's all part of training. You and I must go through training as we fight this fight. Just like a boxer needs to train. An ordinary man who doesn't lift weights and run long distances and train his body, he can't just get in a boxing ring and start to fight because he's not ready for it. He hasn't trained. He will lose and he will be in severe pain. But just like the natural, God brings you and I in times of training where he teaches us lessons. He teaches us strategies. He teaches us how to know our enemy and what we need to do to fight against that enemy. It's warfare. It's strategy. It's all part of this Christian journey that we are in. Blessed be the Lord who trains my hands for war because we're in, in a battle. God allows trials and he allows temptations and pressures and hard times to come to teach us and to train us for war. Now, there is an extremely important part of, of being in a battle or being in opposition 
that, that we need to understand is crucial. And this crucial factor and ability is called defense. It's interesting, my son's been in, in sports. You know, I know Alistair's children are in sports, and maybe some of your children are or have, were in sports growing up. And, and, and it's, it's funny sometimes to watch them play, especially when Austin was five and six in soccer. You know, they all wanted to be the, the little five-year-old to score the goal. Who's running back to be defense? You've got to play defense too, or else the team's going to score and score and score, and you will lose, right? And it's just interesting how, how we have this idea and this desire to be the goal scorer. We want to be the guy that scores the goal and wins the game and, and, and the spotlight's on us. But man, defense is so crucial because when you're, when you're in the NHL, for instance, my son loves hockey. We enjoy watching hockey together. And, and when, when you see in the NHL, there is two defensemen on each shift and their job is not first and foremost to score goals. Their job is to keep that puck out of their zone, keep it far away from the goaltender. That's their job. And if they don't do it well, they'll be on the bench and somebody else will try it. But that's the job of defensemen. NFL linebackers in football, their job is to tackle that quarterback before he throws the ball. Their job is to keep and push back the opposition. Those 350-pound guys are to push back the other 350-pound guys back into their own zone. That's defense. And that's war. That's opposition. That is part of the fight that you and I are in. It's not just boom, 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 punch, punch, sword, swipe, fight, run, crush, crunch. Ah, it's not just that. No. There is so much more to this battleground that we are in. And it is called defense. It's called defense. And this is why Jericho, in the story that we opened up with, this is the purpose why they had this wall around their city. It was to keep the bad guy out. In this story, Israel was their bad guy. They did not want Israel to come in. They were afraid of Israel, so they built a wall to keep the enemy from coming in. And did you notice in that story we read, and we can apply it in our lives, God says, when the wall comes down, then you'll be free to charge in and have the victory. The same goes for the enemy. If he can destroy walls in people's lives, if he can bring down the defense in spiritual people's lives, then he has access to come in. But when the walls are there, you can't get in, right? And so that's why Jericho had the wall around them. Now, there's one powerful defensive weapon that I'm going to share with you. Do you want to hear it? We're going to focus on one simple thing. This is, a, this is something that we learn as children, but it's something we can forget very easily when we become not children. Okay? You ready for it? This powerful defensive weapon that you and I must fight with is self-control. Self-control. Some of you are like, what? I wanted something more cool than that. Right? Give me a sword. Give me a hammer. Give me a hatchet. Give me a slingshot or a gun. <laughs> That's the kind of weapon that I want. 
No, self-control. And we're going to look at this this morning. This message is about self-control. Proverbs 25, verse 28, New Living Translation says this, A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Proverbs 25, 28. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. And we just learned that when the walls that are around a city are broken down, the enemy has free access in to bring harm and damage and robbery and theft and crime and murder and hurt and pain. That's the time he has access for that. Let me read it again. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Other versions say a person without restraint. It's talking about self-control. This is the person who says whatever they want on their lips. They think about it, they say it. That husband or that wife, they just think about it and they say it to their spouse without mm, self-control. And it brings hurt and it brings harm and it does damage. I've been guilty of that. Why did I say that? Why did I not use restraint and self-control? Why did I just let that come out of my lips? It's the person who listens to and welcomes gossip and slander of others. Now that can be hard to do because you might have people that you like and they begin to talk bad about somebody else that you like or somebody else that you know and you feel awkward, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? You feel awkward and strange and how do I stop this conversation? How do I not smile or chuckle? It's an awkward position, right? But we want to use self-control and say, no, I don't want to gossip, it's sin. I don't want to be a part of this conversation. And it's in those times we've got to say no. And we get our defensive weapon out and we use self-control, right? It's the person who goes wherever they want to go, does whatever they want to do based upon the urges of their flesh. We've all been there because our flesh has thousands of different urges and to fulfill those urges, oftentimes our flesh will tell our body to go certain places to fulfill those urges. And oftentimes, they're places we should not be. Because they only bring harm and destruction and damage and they grieve God. Right? I've been there before. You've been there before. Self-control. It's the person who watches whatever they feel. They don't have discretion with watching television shows or surfing the internet. They, 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 they need to learn this powerful weapon of self-control. It is crucial because there's so much in this world as Christians. You see, as Christians, we're, we're to be different. We're followers of Jesus. We don't walk the same as others there should be a difference in our lives. And it's not about being legalistic. It's about loving Jesus and not wanting to grieve Him. And so when we feel that prick and that conviction about certain things that we're maybe used to watching or listening to or going or whatever it might be, that's the Holy Spirit in love 
It's, it's, it's his love saying, no, I have more for you. This grieves me. This is going to bring harm to you. Shut that off or stop that. I love you. Turn from that for your own good because he's our father. Right? Yes. And, he, and he loves us and he wants us to have the best for, for what he has for his children. And Satan surrounds us just like Israel surrounded the walls of Jericho. At times in our own walk, Satan surrounds us with these very things. These various temptations and seductive things of this world that makes the war so very real. But we must not let our walls down. And it's self-control that keeps us safe. Is it not? It keeps us from so much bad stuff. There's a, a place in uh, Italy. And this is, this is a, a city called... Monteragini, and it's a city in Italy. It's a medieval city that's walled, and it's based on a natural landscape in Italy built by the Sienese in 1214 as a front line in their wars against Florence. So this city in Italy did what Jericho did, and many other cities in Europe. Apparently there's been lots of cities in Europe that have these these walled towns or villages, and they put this up in 1214 as protection in war. That's the reason why they put this wall up, because they know that walls keep danger out. Walls protect them. Walls will protect their children. Walls will guard their marriages. Walls will keep them safe from the enemy and they must have known that a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls they must have known that when you don't have walls up around you in the battle it's only going to be bad for you there's no protection without walls there's only open access for the bad guy to come in on august 29th 2005 hurricane katrina struck the gulf coast in the usa it was the costliest, most expensive natural disaster and one of the five deadliest hurricanes in the history of America. In New Orleans, the levee, the flood walls, you can see right there, they were designed for a Category 3 hurricane, but Katrina came in at Category 5 with winds up to 175 miles per hour. There were 50 there were over 50 failures of the walls, the flood walls that protected New Orleans. In this wall that they made, you can see the wall on the right side. That's how it's supposed to look. And you can see this massive section that kept the water out of the city. The water was not supposed to be in the city because there's people in the city. There's children and homes and businesses and vehicles. There's there's. There's things in the city that water will destroy. And so these walls, these levees were built to keep them safe. But you can see when this hurricane came, it did not do as they planned. And it destroyed the city of New Orleans and put it underwater. Listen to this. The, the flood wall failures caused flooding. And get this. 80% of New Orleans. The city of New Orleans 
was flooded 80%. There was only 20% of the city that was not affected by this flood. Now, to get a perspective of this, Kitchener is 139 square kilometers. Waterloo is 64 square kilometers. Cambridge is 113 square kilometers. They're known as the Tri-Cities, right? Kitchener, Waterloo, and Cambridge. They're kind of looked at as one city, we'll, we'll call it today, which is a total of 316 square kilometers. Okay? Kitchener, Waterloo, and Cambridge. That's, that's big, right? New Orleans, the city, is 906 square kilometers. So our three tri-cities is 316 square kilometers. New Orleans is 906 square kilometers. It's three times bigger than Kitchener, Waterloo, and Cambridge, okay? And 80% of that amount of space was flooded. That's 724 square kilometers was damaged and harmed by the floodwaters that were supposed to stay behind the wall. Are you with me? That's a lot of damage. That's a lot of destruction. Tens of billions of gallons of water spilled into vast areas of New Orleans, flooding over 100,000 homes and businesses. The final death toll of human beings was 18, 1,836, and the economic damage that incurred by this uh, hurricane was $125 billion. That's some costly damage. And you can see in these pictures that I just totally... I'll let you go back. You can see by the pictures and the stats that we just read together that when walls are brought down, great damage is incurred. Great harm is done. And the price that is paid is huge. And this goes beyond economy. This goes beyond having to rebuild homes of brick and mortar. This goes far beyond all of that. This goes beyond Marriages that are destroyed because of lack of self-control. This goes beyond families that are harmed and, 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 and brought pain and, and division because of lack of self-control. Because the defensive wall of self-control has been broken down. And if we're honest, it simply comes down to because of the decisions that you and I make. If we're honest about it, it's so easy to blame other circumstances. It's so easy to blame other people. It's the easiest thing to do to find excuses for everything that has gone wrong other than ourselves. But God loves when we can say, Lord, we fail. Lord, it was I. It was me. That's when healing can truly begin. That's when restoration of the walls can begin. Amen? When we're honest about the broken walls in our lives. We find a great example in the story of of King David. Now, let me first say, King David was a righteous man of God. Amen? And King David is in heaven right now because he loved God. He trusted God. He trusted in God. He wrote worship songs on a harp, watching sheep 
to God. He was infatuated with God. Right? That's David. This is the David that destroyed the wicked Goliath. This was David that was righteous. And the Bible refers to him as a man after God's own heart. That's a good testimony to have with people. I would like people to say those things about me and about you. That's good, right? Despite my failures, despite my brokenness and my stupidness and all that stuff, same with David, I want my testimony to be, man, he loved God. Amen? And they loved God, just like David. And we find here this great example that we can learn from, that we can learn lessons from. Isn't it awesome? Sometimes... In the Bible, we can break things down, and I love doing that. I love finding history and different meanings, and that's important. But I also love just learning simple life lessons from the stories that we read. That's, the, that's important. And there can be a, multiple of, a multitude of different lessons in one story, right? So we're going to pull the lessons from the story of David. 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 3. This is King, King of Israel, David. In the spring of the year, when the kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army out to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. He should have been at war, but David stayed back behind. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, I wish I could have midday rest. I don't get midday rest. I guess it's a 15-minute break is what they call it. Right? Have some coffee and take 15, Matt. Okay, then when the buzzer goes, go back. After his midday rest, David got out of bed, was walking on the roof of a palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He said, why is she on the roof taking a bath? That's just wrong. Go into your bathroom and take a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told, she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah. She is a wife. She's taken. Okay, David's on the roof and he sees Bathsheba taking a bath and he's wrongly interested. In that moment, David should have pulled out his weapon of defense and said, I'm going back downstairs. Right? I'm going back to bed. To sleep some more. This is not a place for me to be. But David was a man. David was flesh. David was human. And David is in a really bad situation. And look what it says. After he sees her, he sends someone to find out who she was. There's the first mistake that David made right there. He should have not made any type of inquiry at all about it. But just David walked downstairs. He didn't use self-control. His walls were broken down. And now look at the destruction in David's life. We're going to briefly look at this because these walls are now ruined. And there's access to the enemy. He falls into adultery with another man's wife. Bathsheba now in turn gets pregnant. That's not good. It's not his wife. David sets, uh, uh, sets it all up that... Her husband, that she is a wife to, dies in war. He sets it up. He plans it. He says, he must die. I've made a mistake, so he must die. How wrong is that? Like, dude, you're wrong. He's wrong. David, the man after God's own heart. 
He's wrong. He gets Uriah, her husband, killed. And Bathsheba now gives birth. And after seven days, the baby dies of a horrible sickness. You can see the effects and the damage that has happened in David's life because of not using self-control. Right? What a great lesson that I and you can learn from this morning. Those times in life when we're tempted to do things or we're pressured or we're stressed or whatever it is. Whatever it is. Those times where we say, God, help me to use self-control because I don't want this in my life to become damaged. Great damage can happen when the walls of self-control are broken down. But listen... Great restoration happens when we humble ourselves before our good and faithful God. There's good news. This is, we don't stop the message here. Right? This is not, what, we just, what we just looked at is common to man. It's always been this way. This is part of the war that Christians are in. And this is why we need to understand that that this defensive weapon of self-control is absolutely crucial. And when we fail to use it, there's still hope. There's still hope because God is good and He's merciful and gracious and He cares about you and He loves you and He understands those times when we fail to use self-control. He knows all about it. Amen? That's good news. We can smile and breathe a little better right now. That's good news to know for us. And in 2 Samuel 12, verse 13, David confesses to Nathan. Nathan comes and talks to him. David, you know, he presents to him his sin. And David says, I have sinned against the Lord. That is so powerful. He didn't make excuses for him. He tried at times, but he finally realizes, man, I made a mistake. I was wrong. I failed to fight. I made an error. But I know my God is gracious. I know my God loves me and He's for me. And I know it's not over yet. David knew that to be true. And David confessed I, in 2 Samuel twelve thirteen, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan the prophet replies to him, Yes, you did. But the Lord has forgiven you and you will not die for this sin. The Lord has forgiven you. Is that not powerful? David was forgiven of his sin. There were consequences that he had to deal with. And from that time on, his family was, had to deal with some real hard, um, sinful things in his, in his own son and their families. It was not good because of the consequences that come from sin. But there is grace and mercy in Jesus there is, there is. The Bible says, 1 John 1, nine. if we confess our sins to God, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our righteousness. He picks us back up. He wipes us clean. The Bible says that when we, when we are forgiven, God no longer remembers our sin. We are forgiven 100%. It is under the blood of Jesus Christ. 
You don't have to walk in condemnation. You can walk with your head held high, saying, God, I am just like David. There's been times in my life that you've heard my song. There's been times in my life where you know full well I love you, and I am your servant, and I'm doing a good work for God. And you also know the times I've missed the mark. You know the times where I've not used self-control, and I've stumbled, and I've fallen. But, oh God, here I am, just as I am, Lord. Take me as I am. Pick me up and brush me off. Cleanse me, oh God. In Psalm 51, you can read it. It's wonderful. David says, cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me. Purify me, Lord. Take not your spirit from me, oh God. But it took humility and a recognition that I failed here. But my God is greater. Hallelujah. Our God is greater. Amen? And He's a God of restoration. Now, in closing here, you may feel that maybe there's certain areas in your personal life that only you and God need to know about, that you feel, man, I, I feel like I have no self-control in this area. That's a lie. That's an absolute lie. Now, listen, hear me so carefully. In our flesh, listen, we don't have the ability to have self-control. There, there's a natural tendency, of course, where we can resist things naturally, of course. But listen, as Christians, our fight is not against flesh and blood. It says that in Ephesians 6. We're not fighting other people. Our fight is against, against demons and, and evil principalities and, and, and wicked temptations that make us feel like there's no way we can resist this. But, but that's why we fight in the supernatural. Our Christian walk is not natural, right? <clears throat> Our Christian walk is supernatural. It's in the power of God, right? And, and listen to this. Be encouraged with this. Okay, I'm going to read this first. Galatians 5.22-23 But the Holy Spirit... Who's the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. He's not some weird ghost. He's not a thing. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father, who's been there for all eternity. Jesus, after He died and rose back to life, He ascended to heaven, and He sent the Holy Spirit that would bring glory to Jesus, and that would strengthen and empower Christians to live for Jesus. You and I live for God by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we don't live in the Holy Spirit's power, we will constantly fail and have no victory. Our lives are hidden in Christ and are lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not some mystical thing. It's not some barking like a dog, crazy, out of order thing. It is order. It is pure. It is wonderful. It is strong. It is lovely and good. That's the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. He's our teacher, the Bible says. He's the one who leads us into all truth. The Holy Spirit loves you. He loves you. He's real. And when He's grieved, the reason why you feel awful about it is because He loves you. Amen? It's a good thing. And we have the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, 22-23, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It is not a work of your flesh. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. So listen, be encouraged this morning. When you come to a time in your life where you are tempted and you feel like you cannot resist, you feel like you have no self-control, by the Holy Spirit who lives inside of Christians, He lives inside of a Christian. If you are a Christian, if you've repented of your sin and you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, that He died, that He rose, and that He paid the penalty for your sin, you are a Christian. And if you are a Christian, you have His Holy Spirit who produces self-control in you and in me. That's good news. There There is hope. This is good news. So how do you do it? How do you keep the walls of safety around us? How do we do it? How do we live our lives so that our walls around us are not broken and damaged and destroyed? How do we do it? Tell me. By the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and who loves you. And you... You might say, well, how? Leave it to Him. Throw yourself on His love and goodness and strength. Amen? And listen, I say this from my own life experiences. When you resist whatever it is you need to resist that you know will grieve God and bring harm into your life, you will leave that place feeling, yeah! I did it by the power of His Holy Spirit. And you will leave feeling encouraged and stronger than you did five minutes before. You will. And you will leave saying, man, God, you and I together, we can do this Christian thing, God. You just helped me resist that thing I felt I had no control over. And then the next time you're tempted, you will find it little by little. It'll get easier and easier. It does. I don't understand it, but it does. Because the Spirit begins to strengthen you in those areas. And in those areas, listen, I know it's true. Those things that once before you used to love, although you knew it was sinful, you loved it anyway. But then as you begin to fall more in love with Jesus, and He begins to help you resist those things by the Spirit of God with self-control, you found your love for those things turning into hate for those things. That's a great thing. When you come to the place where the thing that you once loved, although it was sinful, now you hate it. Just the thought of it makes you feel sick inside. Have you been there before? I've been there before. That's a good thing when you even hear the word or hear people talking about it or whatever. You feel sick because you hate that thing and you no, it no longer has a place in your life. It's cut off. It's no longer a desire. It's no longer a temptation. You really come to that place. How? By the power of His Spirit. Don't try to do it in your own strength. Don't try to do it in your own ability. Amen? It's a good thing. This is a good ending to this, <laughs> this sermon this morning. Getting all choked up this morning. Can't even talk my speech. Amen? Let's stand together. I'm excited. Because I know that this this life is, is war. It's war. Amen?
we know, listen, greater is He that is within us. Who is in us? Tell me. The Holy Spirit. Amen? I, listen, I, I don't want to ramble, but when Jesus told His disciples that I'm going to heaven, His disciples said to Him, because Jesus walked as a man with His disciples for over three years. And He taught them. He, he, he'd be sitting there on a beach with His disciples eating fish and telling them things about the kingdom of God. How awesome would that be? I would like to sit on a beach eating fish with Jesus. And if he told me now he's leaving me, I would be like the disciples saying, no, 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 you can't leave me. I need you. I need you. I can't, I can't live life on earth without you. And Jesus said this. You'll find it in your Bible. I don't know the exact reference. Google it. Google will help you find that reference, okay? Jesus says, it is better that I go. Because if I don't go to my Father in heaven, if I don't ascend to heaven from the earth into heaven, then I can't send the Holy Spirit. And He sent the Holy Spirit who is with you all the time. All the time. You can talk to Him all the time. You can cry to Him all the time. You can pray to Him all the time. You can read the Bible and listen to the Holy Spirit all of the time. Amen? This is good. This is good. Amen? Oh, I wanted to read one more verse there, and then we're going to sing. Isaiah 40, 27 through 29. Oh, Jacob, this is, this is in reference to Israel, God's people. How can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say that God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak. He never grows weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. He does, it doesn't say he gives power to the powerful and more strength to the strong. If you are feeling powerless, if you are feeling weak, you are in a good position. Why? Because God says he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Man, that's great news. Don't strive anymore to do it on your own. Don't try to figure it out. You're just going to get frustrated and tired and discouraged. And you're going to feel, man, this Christian life is too hard for me. Say, Holy Spirit, God, teach me. Teach me what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. Right? It's an intimate place that He wants to bring all of us. But just, just ask Him. Say, Lord, teach me what it means for me in my life. He absolutely will. You're His child. He loves you. Amen? We're going to sing. Amen. Thanks for listening to Matt Noel Ministries Sermon Podcasts. I trust you were blessed by today's episode. We'll see you next time. God bless.